0: lynn hiles ministries presents dr lynn hiles that you might have life and here's your host dr lynn hiles hallelujah i know bishop has been teaching a subject on uh, the tabernacle of david and he sent me a little note he said do you know anything about have you preached on the tabernacle of david and i said yes i have but it's been a little while but i watched his video from sunday that's probably cheating a little bit but i watched your sunday service and saw the man of god preach a little bit and uh went back and pulled some notes and i think i'm going to share a few things with you concerning the tabernacle of day but if you'll open your bible or your device tonight i'm going to go to the book of uh, acts in the 15th chapter of acts Uh, I'm going to read from the New King James Version, and so far the iPad is working. So hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Let's begin reading verse 1. It says, And a certain man came down from Judea and taught the brethren, Unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. Therefore, when Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and dispute with them, they determined that Paul and Barnabas and certain others of them should go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and elders about this question. So being sent on their way by the church, they passed through Phoenicia and Samaria describing the conversion of the Gentiles and they caused great joy to all the brethren. And when they had come to Jerusalem, they were received by the church and the apostles and the elders and they reported all things that God had done with them. But some of the sect of the Pharisees who believed rose up saying it is necessary to circumcise them and command them to keep the law of Moses. Now the apostles and elders came together to consider this matter, and when there had been much dispute, sounds like something going on a little bit today, even, you know, what's a sad tragedy to me is We are 2,000 years into the new covenant. We still have to have a debate over which covenant we ought to preach. Well, I'm getting started way too early. Let, Let me just work this scripture a little bit. It said, Now the apostles and elders came together to consider this matter, and when there had been much dispute, Peter rose up and said to them, Men and brethren, you know that a good while ago God chose among us that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe so God who knows the heart acknowledged them by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us. I mean, no, it might surprise us sometimes who God includes. I think it's going to shock some folks that there's going to be probably some folks make it to heaven you didn't think might make it. I don't know if that would upset you or not, but I think that's fairly good news. Hallelujah. How I many? Oh, God knows how to jump out of your theological box because He was including some folks here they didn't think was insiders. Who didn't act like them, smell like them, look like them, talk like them? But that God would choose among us that by, the, by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. So God, who knows the heart, acknowledged them by giving them the Holy Spirit just as He did to us, and made no distinction between us. Let that settle down a minute. And made no distinction between us and them, purifying their hearts by faith. Now, therefore, why do you test God by putting a yoke on the neck of the disciples, which neither our fathers nor we are able to bear? But we believe that through the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, we shall be saved in the same manner as they. Then all the multitude kept silent and listened to Barnabas and Paul declaring how many miracles and wonders God had worked and worked through them among the Gentiles. And after they had become silent, James answering said, Saying, Men and brethren, listen to me. Simon has declared how God at the first visited the Gentiles to take out of them a people for his name. And with this, and and with this, the words of the prophets agree, just as is written, and after this, I will return, and will rebuild the tabernacle of David, which has fallen down, and I will rebuild its ruins, and I will set it up so that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord, even all the Gentiles, who are called by my name, says the Lord, who does all these things known unto God for eternity are all his works. Therefore I judge that, you sh- that we should not trouble those from among the Gentiles who are turning to God, but that we write to them to abstain from things polluted by idols, from sexual immorality and from things strangled and from blood. For Moses has had uh, throughout many generations those who preach him in every city being read in the synagogues every Sabbath. Now, let me just unpack this a little bit, just take my time. I appreciate you helping me on that piano. That helps me just get comfortable here a little bit. Hallelujah. But how many of the, really what is happening here is God has jumped out of their theological box. You know, people go cr- through crises of faith when God don't act like they think he ought to act like. Like he's subject to what we think he ought to do. And so we think we're going to manipulate him by being mad at him if he don't act like we think we ought to act. Come on, somebody. I don't know if you ever thought about this or not. Let me not chase too many rabbits here tonight, but I thought about John the Baptist recently who was going through a crisis of faith. I mean, know John the Baptist was probably one of the most pivotal characters in human history because he announces the Lamb of God. In John chapter 3, when Jesus is coming down over the bank of the Jordan River, John the Baptist goes right there, ladies and gentlemen. Is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Now, how many know if when you're up under the anointing, you feel like you're 10 foot tall and bulletproof. And you'll declare some, come on, preachers, help me a little bit. You you, you get up here under the anointing and you feel like you're 10 foot tall and bulletproof, and you get back to the hotel room and you think, my God, why'd I say all that? And your wife might say, yeah, why did you? And if you decide to say it next Sunday, take the offering first. But here's John boldly declaring, there's the Lamb of God. But the night before, they're going to chop his head off. He's having a crisis of faith. Because it's easy to preach stuff when the crowd shouting. But when it don't look like you think it ought to, he's shook at his faith and he's going through a moment of a crisis of faith. And he says to his disciples... By the way, let me just say this to you. When he said, there's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, many of John's disciples begin to follow Jesus from that time on. Good move. That's right. How many know if your leader just said, there's the guy we've all been waiting on, the best thing you can do is follow that guy you've been waiting on. But how many know John, who was the last of the old covenant prophets, I said he was the last of the old covenant prophets. He was actually foretold by Malachi, I'll send you Elijah the prophet before the great terrible day of the Lord come. And Jesus plainly declares in Matthew 11 when they said, but the, the scripture said that Elijah must first come. Jesus looked at him, he said, John the Baptist is Elijah if you can hear it. And he said to them, of those born of women, there's not any greater than John the Baptist. Yet I say to you, he that's least in the kingdom of God is greater than he is. So everybody in this room, come on, somebody, is greater than any of the old covenant prophets according to the word of Jesus. Some of the most powerful people in the world are in this room. You just don't know it yet. And, 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 and so, so they, they, his disciples begin to follow Jesus and John is now, uh, he's in prison. He probably should have laid down his ministry because the scripture said up until John, all the on the prophets prophesied until John. Until is a time word. And up until then, the scripture says, violent men seize the kingdom by force that culminated with John. If you read it in the Message Bible, in other words, you had to fight, scratch, claw. You had to take it by force. And, and some of it, they were thinking in terms of military might, military power. But here comes Jesus. Ben, I'm, I'm, I want to sidetrack here tonight. But here comes Jesus, and he don't come riding into town on a war horse. Zechariah said, "Behold, your king comes to you, riding on a colt, the foal of an ass." Come on, somebody. Hallelujah. And he doesn't come. He comes meek and lowly. In other words, he didn't come to lead a revolt against the Romans. And that's probably got you upset, especially if you thought God was going to send somebody to kill all your enemies. So your preconceived idea of what you thought he was going to do is not panning out like you thought it was going to pan out. I feel the preacher in here tonight. Hallelujah. And now here's John the Baptist the night before they're going to chop his head off and he's not real sure just In other words, I'm willing to die. I don't know how y'all feel about this. But I'm willing to die for it if I really know it's real, but I got to really know. And he said, go ask him. Are you the one or should we look for another? See, even men of God have crises of faith. That ought to help somebody in here. Even sometimes your faith might get shaken of what you thought God ought to do. And you would think Jesus would owe John the Baptist a straight-up answer. You would say he would just go say, just go tell John, yeah, I'm the guy you've been looking for. But he doesn't. He said, go tell John, the blind see, the deaf hear, the lame walk, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. In other words, go tell John, you were looking for the Malachi version of me. You were looking for me to come like refiner's fire, and burn up everybody and kill all your enemies, just kill all the people you don't like. But now that I didn't come like I came in the Isaiah version, don't you remember, John, that the first message I preached in the midst of chaos was at doom and despair and the sky is falling. In the midst of chaos and Roman occupation, he stands up and says, go get me the book of Isaiah. And he found the place where it was written, the spirit of the Lord God's upon me because he's anointed me to preach the good news to the poor, to set at liberty them that are bruised, and to declare the year of the favor and Jesus started preaching favor in the midst of chaos because what you preach will manifest because faith comes by here you preach on devils and devils will show up you preach on process, people get pulled through a knothole backwards. Come on, somebody. You preach on suffering and people will suffer. I'm going to preach favor because I'm going to tell you when you start to preach favor, favor starts to show up because you can either prophesy doom or you can prophesy favor. And when you start, hallelujah. Zechariah said that the cornerstone and the headstone would be laid with shouts of grace, grace to it. Uh, And the only place I know of in the scripture where there's a double enunciation of grace uh, is in John 1 when Jesus, come on, uh, walks on the scene. Uh, He said, Moses gave you the law, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. uh, And of his fullness uh, have all we received and grace for grace uh, and the cornerstone was laid and favor just showed up. See, I think so some folk are mad right now because god's come on god ain't killing everybody they thought they was going to kill i think it's amazing to me. can i just be real transparent here i think sometimes you know what last year we thought a lot of people i didn't but a lot of people thought the sky was falling the end was near and now they're in cancun on vacation of course they they can go to walmart and a restaurant in cancun but they can't come to church i know that's preaching good hallelujah That might be hard for some pastors to say, but I'm a traveling ministry. Hallelujah. I can see what goes on. Somebody said, this is 42 years of full-time traveling ministry for me. Somebody said, you never pastored? No, I've seen how they treat you guys. Of course, I pastor pastors, and I think they're worth the people. Hallelujah. Well, amen. Hallelujah. (laughs) But the reality of it is is that God was doing something here in Acts different than they were used to. Gentiles were getting filled with the Holy Ghost. Peter is on a rooftop, and he don't know what God's about to do. And God shows up and says, listen, man, there's somebody about to knock at your door. And he shows him a a sheet, knitted to four corners, let down. It was all manner of four-footed beasts and creeping things. And God said, rise, Peter, kill and eat. And Peter said, Lord, not so. I'm a good Jewish boy. I have never tasted a pork chopper sausage gravy. So y'all don't want to help me preach tonight, but if you're gonna preach the law, you gotta preach all of it. You can't just preach the parts of the law that fit your culture and call it the gospel. I don't know about you, but I'd have hated—I'd have hated—been hated the guy that came to the Jerusalem church two weeks before they had this gr- big meeting I'm talking about tonight over circumcision. Because two weeks prior, you might have been sitting there going, "I wish y'all could have had this meeting a couple weeks ago." Ouch! Come on, somebody. But see, that's how I think some of us are who've been in religion all our lives is we got here a couple of weeks later and we bear in our body the marks of religion that have cut on us. When Paul says, beware of dogs, beware of the concision, he was not talking about some people you don't know. He was talking about the cutting group, the concision group, the people that wanted to circumcise in your flesh and go back to the law of Moses. You know, here's here's the deal. You know, I love the book of Acts because it's really a transitionary book. It's these apostles figuring out what goes, what stays. God ain't acting like he's supposed to. Because Pete said, man, he's standing here in this Jerusalem council with his buddies. So you don't know if they're going to ask you back to preach if you tell them what God did down there. Because Peter goes down to the house of Cornelius after he sees this vision, who is an Italian, and he went down and preached Jesus. He didn't lay hands on him. He didn't run no prayer line, and the Holy Ghost fell on him, and they started talking in tongues. And when he get back up here to the Jerusalem Council, he's like, "I, I, I don't know. Oh, I can tell you guys this. I preached Jesus. Holy Ghost showed up. I didn't give it to him. God gave it to him. They started shundai and hukumashai and, and whom I say, come on, somebody." These dudes started getting filled with the Holy Ghost. Come on, I can remember growing up in classical Pentecost under a whole lot of legalism when God started saving hippies and filling them with the Holy Ghost and started saving Catholic people. Come on. And not only saving them, but filling them with the Holy Ghost. And they had what, come on, we called head levelers and makeup on their Jezebel face. You know, that's what we called it. Hallelujah. And God had jumped out of our theological box, and Catholics were talking in tongues. God jumped out of our theological boxes. I I sometimes think, who do we think we are to limit what we think God can do and where he can do it at? Because I know there's some chaos in the earth right now. But see, chaos is the end of what's not working anymore. But it's also the birthplace of change. And I believe God is hovering and moving over the chaos because he wants to bring some change in the planet and he wants to bring it even into the house of God and see a move of God where we see the glory of the Lord and the presence. See, what the tabernacle of David... Is about, is, now, it involves praise and worship. Now, I, 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 uh, praise and worship is, is involved in it, but we're gonna talk about what brings the praise in a minute. Because most people put the emphasis on the praise and worship, and, and that's a powerful, powerful emphasis. But I wanna talk a little bit about what brings that praise in just a moment. But what they were doing was bringing glory back into the house of God. They had lost the ark or the chest of the covenant and it had gone down to the house of Dagon. I almost want to say Dagon. Dagon it. (laughs) The Dagon thing's gone. Dagon it, the glory's gone and nobody noticed. Except when the ark went down to the Philistines God smote them with he, the, 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 in, in the King James Bible it says hemorrhoids. It's the Hebrew word hemorrhoid. Because <laughs> <see>, hallelujah. <laughs> see because when, 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 when the ark shows up among the uncircumcised Philistines, they get hemorrhoids and then rats are released and they get bluebonic plague because sometimes when you start preaching favor, it's like a pain. Well, I don't know how to say it here with the great Greek word here. It's like a pain in the wrong place. What I love is when they got ready to send this ark back up to uh, the house of God, they made a golden hemorrhoid, five of them, and five golden mice. I gotta wonder what this thing looks like, man <laughs> uh, hallelujah but let me let me just talk a little bit about the ark just a little bit here before i I, I move on too far here, but I want to just tell you, how many know about the the ark? Some, some, some translations call it the chest containing the covenant or the chest of the covenant of the Lord. How many know that when Moses built the ark, God said, see that you make it after the pattern that I showed you in the heavens. Because if you build in the earth what I showed you in the heavens, I will come and live with you. Because the gospel is not about how I get from here to there. It's about how I get what's happening there to operate here. Yeah. And the only way I can do that is reproduce what I see in the heavens. Now, how many you know, and the old covenant, everything that was built, and I mean, I could, I could take you all night and talk about patterns and types and pictures. How many you know, the Old Testament is full of types and shadows. Say shadows. How many you know, a shadow is, is the product of something standing in the light? Could I get two? You guys, come up here and help me. Would you help me, uh, Pastor Josh, Pastor, Pastor Tory, come up here just for a moment? Hallelujah! So, so if you, if you, well, I'll get, I'll get these guys to here. It's just stand right here because the light standing that hits the right way. How many? How many? Right, right. This is a shadow here. These are shadows. Now, how many know that if I'm looking at the shadow, I get some idea of something, something in shape, but somewhere there's an object standing in the light that I need to find what this is a shadow of. So how many know the Old Testament is Jesus concealed and the New Testament is Jesus revealed? In the volume of the book, it's written about him. I could preach all night on that. Everywhere it's talking about him. So when he when when Moses makes an ark, first of all, I think one of the very first probably things that happened that symbolized it or looked a little bit like it was when Moses stood on the mountain, and he told, had her and uh, her and uh, Aaron and her hold his arms up. Face face me a minute here, guys, and hold my arms up. <laughs> Do you know it was hers? One of hers offspring that actually made the ark of the covenant of the Lord. And he probably got the idea while he was holding up Moses, Moses's arms. That's the first picture. So he starts to reproduce something. He sees that as long as you keep this ark in in focus, you're going to always have the victory. Now that was a shadow. Come on, somebody stay with me a little bit. But uh, all a sudden in John chapter 20 I saw something in John 20 that uh, I never seen before stay here with me just for a minute guys John chapter 20 we could John 20 verse 11 and 12 said but Mary stood without at the sepulchre weeping and as she wept she stooped down and looked into the sepulchre and she see two angels in white one at the head and the other at the foot where the body of Jesus had lain. Now, I want you to see something here. Now, I know these guys, you may not think these guys look like angels, but work with me here, will you? (laughs) Face each other again and raise your arms. When Mary walked up to the tomb of Joseph of Arimathea, and and you got to get this, the stone was rolled away. Now, to me, the stone speaks of the law, Pastor Tory, because Jesus, come on, the Scripture says in Romans 10, Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. He's not an addendum to it. He's not Jesus plus the law. He's not Jesus plus circumcision. He's not Jesus plus your rules. He's not Jesus plus, oh, come on, all the works and labor you want. It was, the, watch this, the stone was rolled away. But this is important. Put your arms down just for a moment because you'll get tired The stone was rolled away not to release dead stinking flesh. Here's here's some stuff I'm saying to my grace buddies because I've I've, I've been a pioneer in this message and I know the ins and outs and the pitfalls of it. I know where people get off track and where they get. But see, what happens is we think we preach freedom from the law. But we don't understand what we get once we roll the stone of the law away that we're not rolled away so your dead stinking flesh can get out and have a stink fest. We're rolling the stone away because we know there's a power of a resurrected life that will come forth. in the rolling away, come on to the stone. That once I roll the stone away, it will not release you into lawlessness. It will release you into another form of government called the Holy Ghost. Now see, in Acts, they're getting the Holy Ghost. But let me just, let me just get this point as well. When Moses brought the children of Israel out of Egypt... They're delivered by the blood of a spotless lamb. John the Baptist said right there, ladies and gentlemen, it's the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And so the lamb is now on the scene. But then they cross, hallelujah. They're delivered by the blood in Egypt. Let, let me say this as well. Are we good? Are we good? Let, let, me, just, let me teach a little bit. Let me teach a little bit. Revelation 11, verse 8 says this. This was a revolutionary, this was a a mind shift for me. Revelation 11, verse 8 said, and their dead bodies, talking about the two witnesses, which I believe symbolizes the law and the prophets, Moses and Elijah, their dead bodies shall lie in the street of the great city, which is spiritually called Sodom and Egypt, where also our Lord was crucified. Now, if you've ever read that scripture, you read over do fast, you don't, it don't dawn on you. Our Lord was not crucified in Sodom or Egypt. Thank you for that Say, amen. <laughs> Our Lord was crucified in Jerusalem. But the Holy Spirit said he was crucified in the city which is spiritually called Sodom and Egypt. So for the first time, I begin to think Egypt was not what I thought it was. Because I thought my exodus from Egypt was me leaving the bondage of the world. And it can include that. Don't, don't misunderstand me. But what he was talking about was the bondage of an old covenant system that made you a slave and not a son. So he was talking about it. To, listen, I, there is an exodus paradigm all through the New Testament. Even on the Mount of Transfiguration, when moses and and Elijah the law and the prophets appeared to Jesus, the Bible said they spoke to him concerning his decease. Do you know that the Greek word for deceased there is the Greek word Exodus? So here's the leader of the first exodus talking to the leader of the real exodus. Here's the Moses who offered a physical lamb talking to Jesus, the real lamb of God. And they speak to him concerning his decease. And he said, I brought him out of a physical bondage, but you're about to deliver him from religious bondage. You're about to deliver him from an old covenant that made a slave out of you and not a son. It is not. Listen, I just wrote a new book. Matter of fact, Bishop Tony Miller wrote the foreword of this book. Probably the last one he wrote a foreword to. And in this book called The Great I Am, I just released it in July. I talk about how Jesus in John chapter 5. I know i got these guys standing but I'm not, I'm not done with them yet. I am excited to announce the release of my latest book titled The Great I Am.